Build a stunning band website in minutes with Bandzoogle. Go to Bandzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Branvold, and as always, how you doing, Jay Gilbert? I am fine, Michael. I'm caffeinated. I'm ready to go. Caffeinated? (laughs) You know what? I don't know if I've ever mentioned it. I've never had a sip of coffee in my entire life. Wow. Never touched a drop of coffee. Tea? You ever drink tea? Um, Coke? Soft oh, drinks? Oh, oh, Mountain Dew. That you know, if I uh, need, that, yeah. There you go. There's your crack. That, that 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 you know. So it's not <laughs> that I avoid caffeine. It's I don't know. I never had a. First of all, I've never been a slow person to wake up in the morning. When I'm up, right. I'm going. So I don't need Let's caffeine go. to kickstart me. And right. then it was always the yeah, but coffee is just warm bean juice. It that, is. That doesn't entice me. No, no, and and it's kind of a ritual with with a lot of people, especially for me. You know, I like the smell, and I like having that hot mug. Well, in that, my and, that, and that's the thing. I've never never been you know? hooked on the the smell, the aroma of coffee has never done anything for me. Um, gotcha. You know, I've never it's been nothing, a warm drink person. Hot chocolates, uh, it just does nothing for me. I, you know, I've always been the sweet tooth. So give gotcha. me, give you know my my go to is the mango dragon fruit refresher from Starbucks. Oh, wow. God. <laughs> you are out of control. <laughs> that it's a it's a tea <laughs> and it'll get you buzzed, but it's like drinking pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. That's good. Um so anyway, welcome to the Music Biz Weekly podcast everybody. We want to do a couple quick shout outs. Of course, thank you to Bruce and everybody at hypebot.com and bandsintown.com for everything you do to support us and spread yep. the word. It means a lot. And, of course, a couple sponsors this week, uh, bandzoogle.com, built by musicians for musicians. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. Bandzoogle powers the website's for tens of thousands of musicians around the world, from weekend warriors to Grammy winners. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission free, fan club subscriptions commission free, crowdfunding tools commission free. Yep. Um, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and of course, amazing live tech support from their musician friendly team seven days a week. That's great. Seven days a week. I can't tell you how many times I'm like on a Saturday afternoon and mm-hmm. somebody's website needs help. Oh, our offices are closed. Call us back on Monday. It's like, great. Two days, yeah. nothing working. I've um, used it. They're good. Yeah. Great support over there. So here's a special offer, Bandzoogle's extended to the Music Biz Weekly podcast. Head over to Bandzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days, and put in the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY, all one word, MUSICBIZWEEKLY, and you will get 15% off the first year of any subscription. So not only do you get 30 days free, you get 15% off of your first year subscription. 
Music Biz Weekly promo code. Head over nice. to bandzoogle.com. And, of course, thank you to discmakers.com for sponsoring and, and supporting us. We all know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musicians. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts at gigs has become an important income generator. I just worked with a client this week. It's like, dude, you got to sell T-shirts. I don't care. You know, go go to Teespring, go go anywhere, but you've got to get into physical goods, and then you can start printing your own shirts. Head over to Disc Makers. They can handle the T-shirt printing for you. Yep, everything. Every CD you sell at a gig, you need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go to for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So Disc Makers has extended a special offer to the Music Biz Weekly podcast. Head over to discmakers.com. Order CDs, a hundred or more CDs, and put in the code FREEBIZ, one word, FREEBIZ, and you'll get free shipping up to $150. That's a nice chunk yep. of change that you sure can is. save and reinvest in merchandise. That's right. <laughs> um, so head over to discmakers.com, place an order for a hundred or more CDs, use the promo code FREEBIZ, and get free shipping. So, let's see, anything else? Oh, I want to make a quick mention. If you're listening to us on Spotify, hit that follow button on Spotify. It means a lot to us to see how many people are listening and what our traction is on Spotify. Uh, Jay, we've got a guest this week. We do. We have a very good guest. Um, we have Randall Foster, who's the vice president of business development, and he's the general manager of symphonic distribution in Nashville. And he is uh, a DJ, he's he's a music fanatic, and he's here and symphonic's here to help um, independent artists. They do label services, marketing, and even playlist promotion. So stick around, we've got Randall talking about all of this and more. We even get into stuff like TikTok and Roblox. Yeah. And what's coming down the road and what do you need to be That's paying right. attention to? So let it roll. Randall Foster from Symphonic Distribution. Today we have Vice President of Business Development and the General Manager of Symphonic Distribution in Nashville. Uh, Randall Foster opened the uh, Nashville office, and he's responsible for content acquisitions, distribution deals, strategic partnerships, and the creation of Symphonic's uh, music publishing wing. You're a busy guy, Randall. Uh, Welcome to our uh, show this morning. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for joining us. First things first, for those who aren't aware of Symphonic, talk a little bit about uh, what Symphonic is and what sets it apart. I mean, one of the things that I noticed right away, like when you go to the website, you know, there are distribution companies, you have competition out there, but yours says label services, marketing, and playlist promotion. And most of the distribution companies out there don't offer those kinds of services. Tell us a little bit about uh, Symphonic. Yeah, um, Symphonic is a, is is an interesting boutique organization. Um, you know, we were founded in 2006 
by an artist who felt like he uh, needed to be treated better by the distribution companies that he was talking to. And he happened to be uh, smart enough to be able to put the technology together and, and lock the deals in with the players that existed at the time. And uh, it's just kind of blossomed from there. So as an organization, um, you know, we're not a big box uh, distributor. We don't take everybody who applies. Uh, in fact, we turned away about 80% of the applications last wow. year um, from our online um, application portal um, for one reason or another. You know, we're, we're looking for artists that have real traction, that that have, that are, you know, we are fiercely independent. We're proud that we are not affiliated with any of the majors. Um, it's part of our DNA. And we love fiercely independent artists who own their own masters and own their own destinies and just need a team in their corner. Um, you know, I, I would say one of the things that really sets us apart is our approach to marketing on releases and our approach to uh, to the DSPs and to the other you know digital players that exist and looking for opportunities for for the releases that come through our system that have the marketing drivers to to propel those opportunities. Um, you know, we will pitch anything that comes through that's got a solid groundswell of uh, excitement around it. And uh, you know, sometimes it takes some um, some discussions and some pressure to to explain to uh, the artist how to build groundswell. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we, we like to work with an artist and, and if they come through and, uh, and and they don't quite have the numbers, then then we'll say, okay, well, let's chat for a quick minute. And then th these are ways you can build those numbers. You know, uh, we've got a network of PR folks we work with that we recommend on the regular digital marketing companies like Label Logic, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where when you don't take everybody who applies, it allows you to spend a little bit more time and give a little bit more love to the clients that you're working with. Randall, do you, real quick, are you um, distributing digital only or will you also distribute physical for artists? We actually um, we had we had been doing physical, but it was it was quite anemic, to be quite honest. We hadn't done a whole lot of physical. There was a, a few artists that had needed, you know, some some vinyl uh, to be pressed and, and released and distributed. And uh, when I got to the company and, and in the subsequent months following, we we had some very serious discussions at the senior level about the need to be competitive on the physical level and, and the fact that in that independent market sector, um, physical product is still a viable thing that artists need. And so uh, we actually, we hired a very smart guy named Kevin Hopper, who had formerly headed up physical for the orchard. And uh, Kevin came on and and uh, and built out our physical offering, and, and I'm proud to say now that we are we are a digital distributor, but we we definitely do physical distribution, and uh, we do that through Amped and Alliance uh, gotcha. with, with Kevin's guidance and leadership. Yeah, let's talk about two things that are very important to you, Michael, me. Things we deal with almost every day, and that is artists that come to you and they want playlist placement. And that's kind of the first thing that's on, on, on their minds, but there's a deeper story there, a deeper narrative. And there's a lot of work to do before you get to that point. And we talk about this all the time. Let's talk about engagement. And oh, what that's my that, favorite word. And what, what does that mean, Randall? I mean, when, when people come to you, when artists, managers, labels, they come to you and they want certain services, 
how do you have that conversation with them about what engagement is and why it's so important? The uh, I'll be honest. The, the, one of the very first things I do is is dive into Chartmetric, which is a service we utilize quite a bit, and um, and I dive into the stats really deeply. I listen to the music. The music matters, and I care. Of course. About the music. I got into this business because I'm a musician and because I love music for my entire life. But we're at a we're at a, a breaking point, I think, in the industry where the information about the music is more important than the music itself. Um, and I don't say that lightly, and I don't don't say that to be flippant. You know, the information about about who is consuming the music and who is spending time with the music and the artist. Um, you know, you've got to have a great song and at the core of it, you know, the music has to be fantastic, but a fantastic song with no audience is that tree that fell in the forest and didn't make a sound. Exactly. And, um, and so one of the first things I do is dive really deeply into engagement and engagement specifically on a few platforms. Um, you know, there's, it's easy to pull measurements of engagement on platforms like Instagram. Sure. You know, I personally believe that Instagram is one of the most vital platforms for artist discovery that exists um, at, at this moment. Um, I think, you know, you know, artist discovery is happening through through YouTube, of course, you know, Facebook a bit. Um, and, and but Instagram is where I see artists gain real traction. And so I try to look at those numbers and look at the engagement and then have a really brass tacks discussion about. Okay, look, you guys are great. Your music's great. You're touring, fantastic. How many, you know, what cap room are you selling? Okay, great. You've got 1% engagement on Instagram. That means that you cannot mobilize this army of followers. Let's yeah. talk about how you can fix that. Um, and these are the kind of things that I kind of, early on in the relationship, we talk about these things. And, and I think there's a number of ways to, to skin the cat. And I don't think there is one recipe for every situation, but at the core of it, um, you know, I like to ask an artist, um, you know, why, why are you doing this? What are you trying to accomplish with your music? You know, and, and in most cases they can't answer it because it's an awful question to ask a creative person. Um, but the why is so important. And I think, you know, I like to kind of truncate that out to, to the why of why is this single that you're going to push down my throat in three weeks and rush a release on, a priority above everything else. And why does it matter more than the 40,000 other songs that come out that day? Yep. Right. Yeah. We like to call it Randall. We like to call it the, the vision and the narrative, right? The vision is what are your goals? Do you want butts in the seats? Do you want money? Do you want streams? Everybody kind of has in their mind what their goal is, but you just touched on something, something that a lot of people miss. That's so important. And that is what is the narrative? Why should anybody care? Is this aspirational? Is this the record you've always want to, wanted to make? Is it you overcoming adversity? Whatever, if someone's going to write about it or someone's going to talk about it or share something on socials, what what is that? And I think until you have your goals, until you have that narrative, you're just dropping new music into the marketplace. Yeah. And, and, and we, 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 Jay and I love to say all the time, your new music is not the narrative. That is not the story. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want this to sound negative, but the reality is very few people care about new music unless it's, you know, I, I always, hey, the Rolling Stones are doing a new album. Okay, that's all over USA Today because it's the Rolling Stones. But if you are not at that level... 
other than a small handful of your most diehard fans, if you've got a fan base with that level yet, nobody's going to really care about the music. It's the story behind the music of the album, of the tour, of how the band came together. That's the narrative. And it's one of those things when I, I know I get this all the time. When I mention that to artists, I even go, what's your goals? The first thing is goals. what what do you mean i want to be a rock star that's not a goal that's a dream that's a dream you hit on something really good there though is is that nobody cares about new music except for engaged fans exactly there there are certain bands that i will seek out the new music on because i've been listening to them for 20 years or because i just discovered them and i'm in love with them exactly And and if i'm doing that then i'm probably following them on multiple social networks. I've definitely watched videos on YouTube. Um, I've, I have been consuming them. I try to buy a ticket when they come to town, those things. Yeah. And then you tell people about it, right? You're, you're posting videos. You're telling me, Hey, Jay, have you heard this band next? That's engagement, right? But, but but commenting and let's keep in mind that those diehard fans that are engaged with you, they already know, there's a new album coming. They are they know everything there is to know about your career that's publicly out there. So you don't necessarily need to make a big deal for them because they've already known it. They've put it in their calendar so they get a reminder. They've already pre-ordered it. You know, they they're they're done. It's everybody else out there. You know, I I have a saying that I love, you know, it's um love me or hate me. Just get out of the middle because it's the people who are right in the middle who don't care one way or another. Those are your biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. The people who love you, they're in your corner already. The people who hate you are probably in your just a a different corner, but they're still paying attention to you. It's everybody in the middle who's like, I don't have I I've never heard of this band. There you go. That's the problem. And engagement is is difficult. It's challenging. It takes work especially in a streaming era you know if you're not in the first dozen songs uh, you know then it becomes kind of a lean back it's background music sometimes we call it dry streams you know i would you know we asked an a and r guy one time on the show how do you how do you sign artists today and he goes the same way i always did you know i look for a lineup around the block to see him play right well how do you create that lineup around the block on instagram how do you create that lineup you know on socials and streaming services it it happens all the time but it's for artists and labels and smart distribution companies that understand engagement and know how to light up an audience and how to serve the music up to uh, fans that are more likely to be uh, open to it. You know, they have some of the same attributes or there's a lot of tools that we use to grow audiences. And I love hearing you talk about engagement because the, the bands that I go nuts about, it's a relationship. You know what I mean? It's communicating via socials. It's the community of their fans live. You know, you, you feel like you're part of something when you go see them live, right? It's, it's part of who you are. The music is important, but the music is one piece in that puzzle of, you know, I wear the merch because it speaks to, you know, this is my lifestyle. This is my brand. This is, you know, it's, it's very complex. There's a lot of moving parts when it comes to engagement, right? 
Absolutely. Well, and, you know, those engaged fans become um, evangelical. They become your street corner preacher. That's right. And and that's that's what drives that. But back to the original question about the, the goal. Why are you doing the music? You know, most musicians that I encounter just don't want to work a, a straight job. <laughs> most yeah. of them want to be sustained making music that they love. And I think it's really doable if you stop focusing on the minutiae-like playlists and focus on growing a fan base that'll buy tickets and buy merch and come out and see you. You know, those are the, I like to have really big picture discussions because if the big things are happening, happening, if the macro things are happening, the micro things are going to happen. The the streams are going to happen. The the publishing revenue is going to go up. They're, all these pieces, you know, I, I talked to, I was, I went to dinner with an artist last night that made $2 million last year, completely independent. Wow. Free of all ties. Fantastic. Ever. I mean, like the dream, right? And yeah. talking to him and I said, that same question, man. What, what's your goal? What's the what's the plan here? What what are you most proud of? And he said, uh, he said, well, when I when I first looked at you know I looked up and I checked my bank account and I was like, man, I've got like half a million dollars in my checking account, and I was like, <laughs> I can finally pay my dad back. I can finally pay my dad back for all the loans when I couldn't scratch the surface of making money, and, and like this guy, you know, that was that was like the first hurdle for him on a long pathway and on what looks like it's going to be a long pathway of, of just rabid success with, with, with a fan base that will literally buy every piece of merch he puts out. I mean, and he even said he's, he's very, he's very smart. I'm not going to say his name for obvious reasons, <laughs> but he said, he said, uh, he said, you know, every time I go on tour, even for specific tour stops, I will do limited edition merch per stop. I'll, wow. do, I'll do things that are limited to that fact where I can do short runs of them and I know they will sell out at a premium and my fan that already has five t-shirts will buy a sixth because he wants the t-shirt from when I was in Des Moines. Right. And and he's he's really, really gotten smart about those kind of things. And those in, in that kind of activity has just grown the fan base and the streams are are ridiculous. And then well, yeah. about him is is it's a content play. He's he's yeah. keeping He's keeping the hungry fans fed. He's well, a lot of artists don't understand the, the the fan mentality. Like one of the reasons Pledge Music was so popular before it ran into its issues is because hardcore fans could go in there and it's like not it's not just the album. I can get the drum head signed. I can get the lyric sheets. I can get all this really cool limited edition merch and for adults with a credit card um, that meant a lot of revenue for some of these artists. I'm a big fan of things like Patreon, you know, mm -hmm. kind of subscribing to an artist. There's deeper levels of engagement. And I think part of that strategy has to be knowing who those super fans are, giving them what they want. Because to your point, this artist that you're talking about, I'm sure there's a segment of his fans that will literally buy everything that he puts out. I have an artist that is very careful about putting out merch because his fans will buy every single thing. So he wants to make sure it's high quality. He doesn't want to you know, kind of cheat them. He wants to make sure he's not putting out too much. Um, let's talk about the kind of the, the super fan uh, a little bit. How do you kind of see that evolving with segmenting your your fan base? 
Well, I mean, I I think that you need to be there for every level of fan, just like you need to release music everywhere that people will consume. You know, when I was at Naxos, I remember we had this big philosophical debate internally about, you know, do we do streaming? You know, this is back in like the late 2000s. Sure. Uh, And it was like, well, no, because, you know, there were people that were saying no, because, you know, make it exclusive. People will only go and buy the record. They're not going to stream it. Obviously, looking back a decade later, it's really easy to see that, you know, when the CEO at the time, you know, made the edict that, nope, that's not a good policy. We're going to be where the fans are. We're going to give them the music in the packaging they want it in, whether it's vinyl, CD, whether it's a single download, whether it's an album download or whether it's a stream or whether it's on YouTube. Um, and, and that was just at the like the beginning of, of the monetization of YouTube and the ability to create a business in YouTube. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like he was a visionary on, on that front. And, and, uh, and he, his leadership there led that company to years and years of more success. Um, but I think like with the super fan question, I think you have to, you have to service the super fan, but you also have to be approachable enough for the fans that don't get the inside jokes to be along for the ride. Sure. And, um, and I well, think- you just hit it on the head. It's there's different tiers, different levels of fandom mm-hmm. and you have to serve them all. I mean, I'm a big believer in you go to where the party is. If you've got fans on YouTube, no, it doesn't pay out a lot. Uh, streaming people complain about that. Even downloads or vinyl. I'm a big believer that you put your music where your fans are. And I think when you were talking about your your boss that was a visionary, that ran contrary to a lot of thinking at the time. You know, people saying, yeah, we need to withhold this, otherwise it'll cannibalize that. And they ended up kind of screwing themselves. I mean, the yep. Beatles are a prime example. They were like the last to go to CD, the last to go to download, the last to go to st- streaming. And there was a lot of stuff pirated because of that, and I think I think that they lost a lot of revenue uh, because of that. But the bottom line is, I, I totally agree with you. You you just you go to where the party is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I would the Beatles are a prime example of that. You know, um, Garth Brooks also did a similar thing. And um, as much as I love Garth, the you know the whole concept of of exclusive windowing and things like that, I just. I think it's got diminishing returns. And I think that, you know, if you want to look for strategy on releases, look to what George Lucas has done historically. I mean, that guy has got it figured out. I have like 17 copies of Star Wars at home <laughs> because I've bought it in every iteration because I'm right. a Star fan. And, and you, you know, I get and, it. and of course, now I now I subscribe to Disney Plus because too. it's yeah. there. Also because of Baby Yoda, who's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, um, but, I do not love but Baby Yoda. The, you know, I mean, just the way that franchise has operated it could be a playbook for music if people would look up and pay attention to it. And I think, you know, I think there, there are very basic things that you need to do and that you need to be doing as an artist. And I think, you know, ignoring YouTube is 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 idiotic. It's the number one discovery platform for music in the world. Right. I, you know, I, I, I easily. Yes. As as a fan, I've been saying for decades there's nothing better than discovering a new band that you fall in love with. And at the same time, there's nothing worse than wanting to give them 10 bucks and they don't have the ability to take that money from you. Because they've windowed themselves because of whatever decisions they made. I won't, I won't name the band, but you know, there was a band a few months ago. It's like, 
hey, I wanted to I wanted to do a digital download, iTunes, of your new greatest hits album. Oh, it's not available digitally or streaming. You can only get it by buying vinyl. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to buy vinyl. I want to listen to this. Right. right. So and guess the, what? Yeah. You didn't get my money. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that's sad because you, all three of us sit here constantly hearing from artists who are like, nobody wants to buy my music. I can't sell any music. Are you actually making it available to purchase wherever the consumer wants to get it? Right. And there, like I was talking to Terry Courier, you know, from Music Millennium, and, and he wrote a, a piece for your morning coffee about the fact that indie retail who helped build a lot of these careers were getting screwed because a record would come out. And I say record as a term. It was only available for streaming or only available digitally. Well, there's a lot of indie retail out there. There's a lot of people that go to indie retail and that's talking about going to where the party is. People come into Terry's store and they say, hey, I'd like to get that new record by so-and-so. No, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's not out physically. What? You know, I mean, it, it speaks to your point, Michael. It's just the flip side of that, uh, that argument is that you have to think about who your audience is, where that audience is, and, and make it available for them. Well, and that's one of the reasons, you know, as a company, Symphonic, I, you know, one of the things that's impressed me over the last almost year, I started, I started on, on April 1. Um, all my friends thought it was an April Fool's joke. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. But one of the things that I've really loved being a part of, and and one of the things Jorge Brea is known for, um, he's our founder and CEO, yeah. is, is being where the party is first and early. And and we were early adopters on Triller and TikTok. And we were there early. And and you look at the consumption patterns there. And yes, right now the monetization on on certain platforms is not primo. It's not where we all want it. But I know this industry well enough to know that the majors aren't going to let that be the case for long. Right. And and when you look at just the massive, massive groundswell of viral things that have popped off. I mean, there are now TikTok charts within yep. the other existing music charts. Um, you know, I am a you know I am people that really know me know that I'm I'm a DJ and that I was a club DJ in a former life, and um, I still belong to some record pools that literally have TikTok charts now that have been inserted next to the top 40 charts. And it's a completely different sector of music that's being consumed on TikTok. And frankly, it's a younger demographic yep. that's going to lock into that and be with it forever. And if you look at, you know, you know, the Get Up or Old Town Road and well, some of, of these yep. that are that, you know, the establishment has viewed as anomalies, um, you know, that wasn't an anomaly when Lil Nas X, you know, showed up at the Grammys. No. That's it's no longer an anomaly. These things no. become codified and bona fide as, as, as reality. Um, and all because, you know, somebody was smart enough to put a marketing plan behind it that, that engaged and got some audience really excited. And then the right. audience did all the work. Yeah, that's and it goes back to going to where that party is, right? Yeah. And you guys were early adopters there. I noticed now that people are starting to fall in line. Um, other distribution companies are starting to get there like now um, to get people to use their distribution platform and then they'll make sure that they're on these platforms. But whether it's, you know, um, Twitch, what, whatever it is, I think it's smart 
to, again, put your music where those people are. And there may not be an, uh, an immediate ROI, mm-hmm. but if you're looking for ROI in the music business, you're, you're probably playing the wrong game anyway. Now, you got to plant the seeds and let the field grow. And, and like Twitch is an ex- awesome example. And I, I know some bands that are doing really well on Twitch with the tip jar. And, and uh, you know, I know a band that every day when they go into the studio, they spend about an hour on Twitch. And they literally play cover songs and they try new songs with the audience that's there and the audience keeps coming back and they're getting tips from the audience through the platform regularly. And yeah, it's not traditional. They're not getting a, you know, a royalty stream as we view royalty streams, but that's okay because, you know, music since the time of Mozart has been about creators and benefactors. And we as the audience are the benefactor and the creators are the creative geniuses behind it. So as long as they're getting remunerated in some way, I think it's really cool. And I think the rest of the industry is gonna catch up at some point and it'll be a line item at that point. Right. Randall, let me, you know, I, I had some notes down here of things to ask you about and TikTok was one of them. So thank you for bringing that up. But there's another one that's that's bubbling up and I've got a six year old and I kind of chatted with Jay about this a week or so ago that all of a sudden my six-year-old daughter is just addicted to Roblox, R-O-B-L-O-X. <laughs> yes, and, I have nine-year-olds. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm and you know, I've been, I, I sat down and played it with her. And for those of you who don't know, you should definitely look at this because this feels like to me, and I'd love to get your insight on that, this has got the potential to become something huge. I mean, it's already big if a six-year-old is addicted to it. But it's like Minecraft. It's like all these build-your-own-world type of things. It's a bunch of games. And I took the chance and just sat down. I'm like, okay, I'm loading this up, and I'm going to search for rock and roll and music. I want to see what's being done. And there's a few that pop, few worlds that popped up. Like there was a concert stage where you are the rock star, and you're walking around backstage, and you're on stage, and there's an audience of people cheering you. There is no yet direct tie-in to a band yet, although some of these worlds put album covers on the walls. You know, what do you think? What what's the what's the future holding for worlds like that? Do you remember Second Life? Oh yeah, yeah. big time. I uh, <clears throat> I actually when I when I was you know younger when Second Life existed it, it, at work had gotten onto Second Life to try to find an angle for the company yep. I was working for at the time. And I think that um, all of these technologies in these worlds, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at um, Roblox or any of the other viral, uh, you know, peer-to-peer gaming systems, I think there's definite opportunity there. That's It's really interesting. That's one I had not really dug into, and I, I actually just kind of, Oh, you're playing Roblox again. Oh, great. Okay, I'm going to watch TV. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But I remember explicitly um, when Second Life launched that Gibson Guitars went and doubled down on it. And a friend of mine was a marketing manager there at the time. And, um, you know, Henry Jeskowitz, who was the CEO at the time, who's, you know, been, been... People have loved him or not, 
loved him. <laughs> but but you can't say that the guy hasn't had some really killer ideas throughout the, the years. Henry really decided, so I was told, this is secondhand, that he sure. wanted to double down there. And so Gibson went in and created a, a Gibson, you know, like a Gibson concert venue. Right in Second Life. And I don't know that it ever yielded anything, but I remember I had a friend who spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks building this thing out and doing, dealing with them and setting it up. I think that you have to try. I think that, you know, you know, if we sit back and, and say, nope, that's never going to happen. Those are the things that do. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, even like you said, the album covers, you know, there's a branding possibility there. Um, you know, I think the major labels might be upset to know that their album covers are being used and they haven't been paid for the use of the artwork, but I'm not going to be one to turn Roblox in. Um, you know, I think Fortnite is another example of, of, you know, it, it, both engagement and, mm -hmm. and awesome pivots for musicians. And I know some, there's some popular DJ producers who've, who've done Fortnite events, where they've you know premiered music in Fortnite and they've actually played with the other folks playing Fortnite, and um, that's cool. I think creatively the world is our oyster. I think we just have to embrace it and be there. I uh, agree. So I'm literally going to hang up with you and and start googling Roblox. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know I agree with all of that. I think there's so many different platforms now where there is an audience, and I think being first in the space. And being an early adopter, which it sounds like is what you and and uh, Symphonic do, I think that can bear fruit sometimes just by being early. But it's I, there's the argument that you you should be maybe a fast follower, but I don't I don't believe that. I think um, I think you you gain more by going after these things and trying different things and learning from these things. Um, there's so many ways to grow an audience, and there are things like that we've been talking about today that are new, but it's changed while we've been having this discussion. And, you know, when, when we talk again, we'll go, Oh, have you heard of this platform? So it's yeah. super important to grab these new, you know, kind of nascent technologies. And, and, and I think one thing that's important to keep in mind, just like it's always been in music, it's the right place, the right time. Timing is so important. Second life was here 20 years ago. Maybe it, was too early to the game for what it wanted to do. But the concept now seems through the Minecrafts, the Fortnites, the Robloxes of the world, it's still, all it is is a, is a, a alternate reality on a laptop, basically, or your tablet these days, and you're running around living in another world. That's it. That's all Second Life was. That's all Roblox is. It's worlds that people create. What you do to utilize that is what makes the difference. How you sit there and go, okay, wow, this person created a concert stage in Roblox. If I get a developer to build me a world and put my band in there, and can I stream a live concert through that? You know, that's where somebody's going to hit that light bulb aha moment going, oh, holy crap. I can do this. Or better yet, you go to, you know, we're, we're always all about premiering your video exclusively on somebody's website. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe you want to premiere your video, if it's possible, I don't know, on somebody's massive Roblox world yeah. that's, that's got thousands of people all day long going through it. 
Absolutely. Well, and, and I think I, I think just the openness to trying that, you know, I mean, on, on our side, we've got a killer content ops team that onboarding new services like Tencent and, and others has been is quite easy. Uh, you know, it's I, I say this simplistically as someone who absolutely cannot do that myself. But <laughs> the guys that are doing that, um, they get it and they're experts. Yeah. For years, this is so interesting to me though, because I just had this epiphany. That do you remember the Leadership Music Digital Summit that used to occur in Nashville back in the twenty two thousands? At all? No, I think I've heard of it. I think, but I'd never attended. They stopped doing it, and it's it's a travesty that they did because I went annually and I really loved it. But but I heard Ted Cohen speak at that event, and he gave a speech called "All My Vices Are Devices." And it was at the time when all of the music companies were chasing the newest digital device and they were, and it was all the talk was, you know, the Zune player and, and, yeah, oh no. the, you know, the Whatever. different iterations of the iPod and those things. Uh, and I remember um, him giving this riveting speech where he literally brought all of his toys and just talked about them and the ways music could integrate into them. But we've all, we've all pivoted and, and the device no longer matters. The device now is agnostic and right. we're cloud and, but we're still having the same conversation, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is really yeah. interesting, you know? And I, yeah. I, I literally, when you, when you were talking, I, I just had this light bulb go off and I was like, Man, we're we are still talking about the same thing, and I think that if you were to truncate it out to like, you know, the 1960s, 70s, 80s, these are the same discussions that happened with the eight track and with the cassette tape. tape and and just, we have more options to that. The, oh, the, 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 the dat tape is going to be the whole revolution. You know, the mini uh, disc, the mini, the mini disc, disc and mini disc right. is going to solve all our problems because you can't scratch it. Yeah, right. And well, it's now small. it's about access, right? I mean, you've yeah. got access, and it's an always-on music industry, and that's people struggle with that. That it's not a release cycle. Every eighteen months, you put out a new album. Man, you got to engage that audience, and you have the freedom now. If you want to put out a track, and then you write something amazing, you can put that out. You can do EPs. You can do live acoustic. You can do anything you want to do. But I wanted to mention to you I, one of the things that really made me become aware of Symphonic was um, your blog. And, you know, I'd, I'd done some looking into the various distribution platforms and didn't really know deep down what the differences were until I started distributing music through uh, each of them. But I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of the education process and not only letting people know the new programs that are available or, you know, what's going on to the digital service providers or, you know, how best to put together a marketing plan, but talk a little bit about the symphonic blog and yeah. kind of that education process. Yeah, no, I'm, I am, um, I'm biased obviously, but I'm, I'm really proud of our blog and the work that that team does. Um, you know, I didn't, I really didn't, dive in on the blog and get to know it and get to be such a fan until I saw a competitor actually link to our blog from their blog. And at that point, which is absolutely <laughs> the highest form of, uh, yeah. you know, and Take my customers at that point, I was like, man, we're on to something. And the nice thing about it is it's not salesy. It's not come, come to symphonic and we'll give you X, Y, and Z. No, it's, these are four hashtags you need to be using in 2020. If you're in music, otherwise you're going to miss the boat. 
And uh, it really, I can't, you know, the blog started with Jorge and uh, our head of client mark, or sorry, our head of corporate marketing, uh, a lady named Jeanette Berrios. And um, it's now expanded. She's got a, a, a large corporate marketing team that oversees that. And, um, you know, there are full-time writers on the blog and full-time guest writers on the blog. And the goal is really, you know, I think an educated consumer um, it, it, it is a more profitable client. And, and I think, you know, it's selfish to say that it's, you know, it, I would love to say altruistically, we just want to, you know, we want to, we want to give the world a Coke. We just want to teach the world. <laughs> but, but the reality is um, symphonic clients are, are, are really smart and they're smart because they take the time to learn. And if they learn and know what they're doing and have these concepts in their back pocket, so when they sit down with their team and say, okay, let's talk about how we're going to market this next release, or let's retool how we're interacting on the socials, then that down the road yields to, back to it, more fan engagement, more streams, more playlists, which are the result of fan engagement, not paying off a playlist maker. Exactly. Uh, you know, they, it, it all, it, it all feeds itself. And I think, I think an, an educated client is, is, is a profitable client. And, um, in the independent music sector, I think coming at it from an educated point yeah. of view makes you dangerous. As well, kudos because that's, it's one of the best out there. You sign up for the, uh, email, you check out the blog. I love reading the articles each week. Um, you can tell that somebody's putting some thought into it. And really, that's the basic, uh, the basis of your morning coffee, or that's the basis of what we're doing on this podcast, yeah. is really sharing that knowledge base, which is changing all the time. You don't just know everything and then you're set. It's, you know, it's a constant learning, um, constant evolution. And I encourage anybody uh, that's watching or listening to, to go check out uh, the Symphonic blog because it's, it's fantastic. Where, where can people find it, Randall? It is at blog.symphonicdistribution.com. And one of the things I, I just a, a tip, there's, there are, there across the top of the window, there are a number of, of subject matter, but there is a search uh, looking glass up in the upper right hand corner. And what I tell people is, is if you're, if you're like stumped on something like, you know, today I'm going to spend some time on Instagram. I'm going to clean up my profile, figure it out, out how to do it, figure out the best things to do, the best practices. If you go to that search and you enter Instagram, it yields a slew of results that are exactly aimed at Instagram that are articles about Instagram. Um, I just, I just did it actually. And, and these are, you know, how to get your lyrics on Facebook and Instagram, six hashtags you should be following on Instagram, monetize your music on Instagram. You know, uh, these are the kind of things that I, I think really build that informed musician and, and allow them to, you know, maximize the time they're spending on these apps because I, it's so much work. I mean, it really is. And, and to keep up with, you know, all of the social media that exists is an, an impossibility almost. And, um, and it's a daunting task. And so I sure. think, you know, if, if you can come at it, um, with a little, you know, preformed knowledge and, and, and attack it that way, it's, it's a good look for, for the artist and, and for us, you know, it's just, us trying to help out the independent music community. And if we help them out, they're going to help us out in some instances. And, uh, and that's the goal. 
Rand, Randall, for somebody who's listening who wants to reach out about potential distribution through Symphonic, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do that would be to go to the Symphonic uh, website and, and apply. Um, symphonic.com, it's a very easy application process. Um, I would recommend that you have access to all of your socials and, and so that when you apply, you can talk about things like how many Instagram followers you have and how many YouTube subscribers you have and those things. Um, because, you know, we have a team that vets those things and, uh, and they do listen to the music and the as I've said, there are things that get through that shouldn't get through because the music is just so damn good. Um, but there, there's also a need for there to be a minimum level of traction. Sure. Um, because you just, in some cases you can't help those that can't help themselves. And so, um, and so come prepared with, with your social stats. And these are really, I mean, these are like gym stats, you know, I bench 350, you know, that matters, (laughs) right? You know, that's a thing that matters. Um, these are the statistics that talk about how strong you are. Literally. These you know, we, we, we go go back to the beginning where we said, you know, you ask people, what are your goals? What's your narrative? You know, the other question that's always a challenge for artists to answer is when you ask them, who's your fan base? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and you might even clarify that and go, I just want to know how many people are on your email list, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. And they're still like, uh okay before you do anything you've got to know the size of your fan base and then and who they are demographics it's so easy today to figure that out the male female breakdown the age range because getting back to like tiktok someone might sit here and go well boy tiktok's the hot happening thing i need to be over there yeah but your demographics are 45 to 65 year olds yeah okay so they're not they're not on tiktok don't waste your time there well, and notice, I don't think James Taylor has a TikTok feed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, you know, the demographic breakdown is really important. And the truth is, as an artist, that's what the talent buyers are going to be asking you. I mean, yeah. they are going to want to know how many butts you can put into seats. That's right. Because if you can't fill their room, someone else will. And um, no, I, th- I think and, it's and, so and, important. and more importantly, are these butts in an age range that has disposable income to spend? True. That's True. what that's what they want to know. Yeah. So if you're pitching for sponsorships, for for tours, whatever, you've got to be able to say, yeah, I know my these are the people. These are the countries. These are the states. These are the languages they speak. Yep. That's what somebody who's going to invest in you. Sorry. At the end of the day, they're not investing necessarily in your music. That's not what matters to them. It's the butts that you can reach. And put my name in front of. Absolutely. You touched on something a second ago that I think is really important and we've not talked about it all. You said mailing list, email list. And I feel like in this day and age, we've all overlooked it. And I actually, it was interesting. I spoke on a panel with with someone from John Prine's marketing team. And uh, I'm a massive John Prine fan. I just think that guy, I think the world of that guy and that record and all the success he had with it after so many years. Sure. Um, But, you know, he had that success without one editorial playlist. It's very interesting to think about Mm -hmm. that. And, yeah, and I, I this these are again these these are secondhand facts. I've not Googled these things and searched them, but that's that's the statement that was made. 
Um, and they had the success because they engaged the fan and the John Prine fan that had bought his record 15 years earlier or whatever, whenever the last record came out, they had kept all those addresses and they sent postcards to them. Think about that. They spent That's a bold statement. They spent a couple thousand bucks. And this is, you know, again, know your role, know your fan. <clears throat> they spent a couple thousand bucks on postage and they sent postcards to them. And the postcards read something like, we know you may not trust the Internet, but we wanted you to know that John has another album coming out. And if you'd like it, here's a phone number you can call and talk to a human who will make sure that the album is packaged and sent to you so that you have it when it's released. Wow. And they converted those postcards and they sold a ton of physical product because of it. And it's, it, it's the simplest things that, that look so genius from the outside eye. Right. Uh, and I, I just, it blew me away when she said that because I don't even think about that kind of thing, but you know, the merch table is a great place to be captured. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause you own that. Absolutely. When you're when someone's on Spotify, Spotify owns all that data. But when you have a uh, an email list from your merch table or wherever, man, that's yours, and you can communicate with those. And it's a powerful message when I get something from one of these bands that I'm passionate about. You know, like if I were to get a, a postcard, a physical postcard in the mail, I mean, that's going to grab your attention. It's a classy look. It really is, especially if you can do something to make it not look like spam, not look like another bill or another yep. you know, promotion from an insurance company. Right. Um, it's a really interesting thing to think about. And one thing I, all, I often advise bands is to incentivize people at the merch table. Give a free piece of merch yes. in exchange for them signing up. Sure. Them, make, That's make so much more valuable. Button, you know? I mean, yeah, you know the 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 buttons. the but the button the button's three dollars, but I'll tell you what, I'll give it to you for free if you join my email list. Yep. All of a sudden, the value in the fans' mind is there. Wow, I'm getting a three dollar thing for free. But you know, hey, if you're opposed to passing out your email address, and you still want to support us, sure, you can buy it for three bucks. Buttons also stick around. It's very interesting. I have a Radiohead button I got in 1994. Yeah. And it's it's on my workbench in my garage, but it's yeah, my yeah. still all the time. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, listen, um, I wish you nothing but success. You know, we know where people can find you uh, at the website, and they can submit their music. Um, we'd love to kind of continue this uh, conversation uh, another time too, as things evolve and change, as they uh, they will do. Absolutely. I, I, I'd also say if people just want to connect in the social media space, I'm on Instagram at Randall Foster. And, um, and you know, I'm, I love connecting with and meeting other people who are as passionate about the music business as I am, just like you two. So thank Thanks. you, guys. Thank you, Randall. This was Randall, a thanks pleasure. again for uh, joining us, brother. All right. Thank you, guys. Right. Take care. We'll talk soon, man. Bye-bye. Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. Great conversation with Randall. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to talk with a distributor who is so much more than just, yeah, we'll get your music up on iTunes and Spotify. Yeah, they're more than just pipes. Yeah, they're more than just pipes because, you know, there's a million pipes out there that you can... Lots of them. Yeah, lots of them. And you it, want to get and, your music up everywhere. You have so many choices, but they're very selective. And they also, you know, like I mentioned, you look at their website 
and it says label services, but then it says marketing. They do marketing. How many of these DIY distribution places? And look, you know, they're selective. You can't get on. Not everybody can get on there. But man, I want to be at a distributor who's going to get behind and market my music. Yeah, for sure, exactly. I want I want somebody again who's more than just the connection to Spotify. Yeah. That 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 that's a no brainer in this day and age. I mean, as we as we always talk about with streaming services, everybody's got fifty million songs. You can't compete on that anymore. Yeah. It's what does right. your service do differently? Are you like title where it's high quality audio? Do you have great al- algorithms for playlists like Spotify has? What is the differentiator? And and distributors have become come that it's like okay i don't care you all distribute to 150 different places around the world yeah, and they're Great. all the same places yeah that i can what, get what what, what what more can you do to help me to guide me to educate me um yeah. that's going to separate distributors yeah um as always we want to do a quick shout out and thank you again to all of our sponsors hypebot.com bandsintown.com, bandzoogle.com, and discmakers.com. Thank you for everything you do to support us. Um, if you're watching us on uh, on YouTube, hit that little red subscribe button so you'll never miss another episode. And uh, jump over to iTunes if you've got a chance. Leave us a review and a rating. It it means a lot Please. to us. Yep. Um, that's it. We've got, boy, we got guests lined yeah, up. Yeah, we got guests lined up. For the next three months <laughs> yeah yeah it's good we got some good guests some really coming. exciting yeah. ones you know we yeah. I, I won't name names yet but in april we've got somebody who's really into how to grow and and use instagram because we've never yeah. really done a deep dive into instagram before that'll yeah. be a fun one um all right that's it everybody music biz weekly podcast we're out of here <laughs>